This is Byron Lazine and not Nicole White, but Lisa Chinati on episode 260 of The Real Word. Lisa, thank you for filling in. Nicole's out today, and I couldn't, on Valentine's Day, I couldn't think of a better co-host to replace Nicole for the time being, a temporary replacement, than you, Lisa Chinati from Boston, Massachusetts. Of course, you have a team in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Thank you for being on The Real Word with me. I'm stoked to be here. We're going to have some fun. Is that, what is that? In the, is that just, is it just blown out in the background or is that snow? What am I seeing there? You don't have snow there, do you? No. Okay, no it's just blown out. Good. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm making sure that there wasn't snow there for, because I wanted to, you know, one of the great reasons why uh, you're such an awesome co-host is because, you know, Nicole likes to give me jabs and, you know, give me little digs from time to time and you do the same. So this is why uh, it's so great to have you, Lisa. It's a skill right. and an art form. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And you're very good at it. So let's jump into a very um, timely topic for today. The cost of love, how money impacts move-in decisions. Okay. A Zillow study reveals renters living solo in a one bedroom unit pay a yearly singles tax of nearly $7,000, okay, in comparison to obviously living with somebody else, a partner or a spouse. Realtor.com and Harris X also conducted a survey to determine how, many, how money impacts move-in decisions and how different generations approach moving in together. So essentially, there are couples that are making a decision of like, hey, you know, this is going pretty good together between us. Uh, you know, we haven't broken up yet. We haven't had some big, huge fight. You know, let, let's save some money and move in together. Is this a trend that you're seeing, Lisa? And is this a wise trend for couples? It's definitely a trend that's happening here in Boston. We're one of the most expensive cities in the country to rent in, in particular, and to buy in, right? Um, and I think as people are just getting started, it's a great way to save money. Um, and to make it affordable to buy a home. Mm. I've actually, you know, I my, my wife and I have been together since we were 17 and we started living together when we were 18. So I, I guess we fit into this category of like, you know, it makes sense to just live together as opposed to living in, in two separate places. So I, I don't know what it's like to be on the other side, really. In reality, I've never not, I've never lived alone, Lisa. I guess I'm. Uh, Whoa! Yeah, I've never, I've never actually lived by myself. There's so many uh, things my, I could do with that one about other yeah. things in your life, but we'll let it be. My entire life, I've stayed in hotel rooms alone, of course, but uh, I've never lived alone. So, uh, to your point, the cities, the price of living alone in the cities are especially high. The highest in New York City, uh, according to Street Easy, a single pays almost twenty thousand dollars a year more compared to somebody who's sharing rent, either a roommate or a partner. So certainly in the cities, this makes a lot of sense. Manhattan specifically, uh, the most expensive borough is $24,000. You can do a lot with $24,000 if you're saving that as opposed to paying it into rent. San Francisco is $14,000 for that typical bedroom just for the single. So, you know, you know, typical one bedroom, if two people, uh, you know, enjoy sharing a bed, it's easy to you know, go ahead and say, we don't need a two bedroom. We'll just go get a one bedroom together. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So do you think this uh, creates more turnover though, Lisa? Do you, you know, once you start living together, it's like a whole new dynamic. You start to learn people's, you know, weird little behaviors and habits. For better or for worse, right? Uh, on so many levels. So I, fascinating because the article kind of talked about how financial habits can trickle down or have huge long-term impacts, right? Financially to somebody's future. But I think finances are one part of it. And I think, I, I don't know, I lived with my husband before we got married as well. And it was a testing out period to make sure we could, look, I like to walk in and drop my clothes in a pile on the floor and he's a neat freak, right? So it could have gone either way. And financially, we're a little bit different as well. Uh, you know, listen, I think this is a good move. You know, there's going to be people that have, you know, Dave Ramsey is going to have a more of a religious view on this where he probably is against, you know, he's going to have a whole rant why he would be, you know, railing against this decision. Uh, I, like you, I believe that, you know, having that period of living together is a wise decision before you go and get married. It's very different dating even for an extended period of time intimately than it is to actually live with somebody and learn every, you learn everything about somebody when you live with them. It's, it's one of the, like, I don't love going on vacation with other couples. Cause I don't want to go through a three, four day learning process about learning more than I have to about them. Right. It, it's just, it's just not my thing there. So to me, this is a wise financial decision. If you believe that, Hey, we're going to get along enough we're, you know, this is going to be, a positive impact on our relationship. There was a study that came out in quarter four of last year, CNBC make it did it where they talked about millennials and Gen Z are actually going into debt, Lisa for dating. Okay. So they're like fancy dinners and all of this kind of thing. So when you're not living together, uh, when you don't have that kind of, you know, trust and enough to live together, you're going to like, maybe try to overly impress them with the f fancy dinner. A lot of people are, are going to be spending a whole bunch of money tonight. I think we were together in Philadelphia and I threw, I threw out that number at you where I was like, Hey, they're going to spend the most on Valentine's day. I'll try to look it up. Uh, you oh, that were number was number. insane. It was, it worked out to, I think it was like 26 like, billion. Yeah. It was over, it was over $500 per person on average. Right. It's crazy because I'm not spending a penny. Neither is my husband because it's a fake holiday. Um, but oh, it's twenty. It's uh, oh wait, they spent more than twenty-one billion in 2020. So that's 2021. That's not the number I saw that was projected for for this year. I think it was the most ever at at uh, twenty-six billion. Yeah. Okay. So whether it's chocolate hearts or romantic dinners, this is according to CNBC on January 29th, Americans are planning to spend twenty-five point nine billion today. So going into debt on just overall dinners, that was a, that was an overall study where it's like, you know, millennials on dating life uh, are going into debt or the 26 billion that Americans are going to spend on Valentine's Day. I think you, you could, you could you'd save some money and take that money and put it into something much more significant by living together. Uh, you know, here, here's the deal, Lisa, 86% of Gen Z respondents that admit finances or logistics can uh, contribute to the decision with moving in with their partners, probably because they're spending all this money on these dinners. And they're like, hey, if we just live together and cook, we're going to think about how much more money we're going to save, not just on rent, but just on our overall lifestyle. 76 of millennials said the same thing. 56% of Gen Z, 44% of boomers, and then 63% of all respondents. We can put up that chart 
uh, from Zillow where renters are, or single renters are paying significantly more. We mentioned New York City and San Francisco, but it's the same in San Jose, San Diego, Boston, uh, Lisa, that uh, singles tax in Boston is actually almost $12,000 in your city. Uh, Couple savings in Boston is almost $24,000. Okay. Uh, Washington, Seattle, Los Angeles, Miami, Honolulu make up the top 10. I don't know. Honolulu might be a good place for a single. You ever see that movie with uh, Adam Sandler? He's living in, he's living in Hawaii. And uh, he, he just keeps dating all the all, all the people that are coming for one week vacation. So he had like 52 dates in a year. No, I don't watch but, TV, but sure. See, well, it was like, it was like one of those like Delta flights. I, I okay. fell into that trap. Uh, OK, so if you combine the savings, couples can save up to thirty nine thousand dollars between the two savings, combining those per year. All right. Definitely not a racket when you're saving money in this economy. We've got a left, middle, right that's going to touch on that. Lisa, I want to uh, switch over to racket number two. This is an Inman piece that just came out. It's an opinion piece. I am an agent. You can't tell me what to wear on the job. Okay. So this opinion piece was written by Rachel Height. Rachel says it's time to recognize that the business of selling homes doesn't require a blazer but it does require personality and skills. And that is not one size fits all. Rachel argues that, are you branding your brokerage, uh, your name, your personal views? Also, why are we focused on going backwards? There's been this you know, argument over the years uh, about being a professional, about you know, dressing to your client's expectations. Um, okay, and so, She's arguing against that. Create an inclusive dress code policy. The reality is people no longer fit in a gendered box of stockings and heels for women and red power ties for men. I think that's a little bit of gaslighting to me from Rachel, where it's like she's going to the extreme there. Um, you know, she's she's beating up on the blaze. She has a whole topic on the blazers. A lot of comments here on um Inman. I'll read some of those and then get your reaction. Cheryl Johnson says we should dress as the clients expect us to dress. Um, Robin Simpson says, just be professional. There's nothing wrong with individuality and there are ways to be individual while still being professional. Uh, the clients expect and deserve our respect through being a professional, okay? Um, somebody else, are you sh- it depends. Are you showing luxury homes, a ranch, a farm? There's a big difference there. Uh, Martin says, I'd rather be overdressed than undressed. Where are you on this? The dress code of real estate. Is there a dress code? How should agents dress in the workplace? So I have strong feelings on this, um, and I, uh, so my the very first brokerage I ever worked at when I was reading the handbook, women must not wear pants. What the heck, right? So ended up not really staying there too long because if I don't think anyone's ever seen me in a dress. Uh, conversely, I think that there's somewhere in the middle. I don't think people should be showing up in their yoga pants, and we actually debated this. Uh, couple of months ago, flip-flops, right? I think that there's a a dressy sandal that can work, but the flip-flops that you wear on the beach, I don't think that those should be showing up in an office at a showing or while you're conducting professional activities, right? But I think that there's a way to make jeans work. And I say, I think outlawing jeans wouldn't necessarily work. I wear jeans, actually I'm wearing jeans right now, right? Jeans with a nice top, maybe a blazer, maybe not a blazer. I think, again, on sneakers, there's athletic sneakers to fashion sneakers. And I 
I think maybe some discretion is needed, but I think that there is a level of decorum required. To your point, agents, you represent a broker. And so your brokerage likely, if you're, you know, I would say, I would say 80%, this is, I'm just throwing a number against the wall, but, you know, taking into consideration that all of the, you know, brokerages that have a, you know, a large agent count have dress codes, you know, I would say over 80, 80% of agents have some type of dress code already in their workplace. That's a requirement, you know, to your point, your first brokerage, you didn't agree with the dress code. You went over to, you know, a brokerage that you agreed with that dress code. And so you're an independent contractor. You have that option to do that. Uh, but a lot of these brokerages have a dress code for a reason. To your point, if you just wear whatever the heck you want, I think it's very disrespectful to, you know, wear a backwards baseball cap into somebody's house and then ask them to list their biggest financial asset. You know, have a little bit of respect that you're going to be your most well-groomed self, that you're going to walk in there, look them in the eye, uh, be neat and tidy and show them that you're taking the opportunity very seriously. Okay. I wouldn't want to list my house with somebody that has subpar standards about themselves, because what kind of standards are they going to have when they go and list my home and they market my home? If you can't market yourself to look your best, how the heck are you going to put my home in position to look its best? Okay. Deion Sanders always says you look good. You feel good. You play good. I want my agent to be looking good. Okay. That may sound, you know, low or whatever you, you know, you know, um, what's the, what's a better word for, you know, it, it might sound petty, I guess, to say that, but I, I don't want to work with a slob. That's to me, people that are sloppy, they're going to be sloppy in all areas of their life. It's an indication of how they go about their business. Um, this whole thing where we're going with, uh, you know, where I said that Rachel's gaslighting created an inclusive dress code policy. People no longer fit in a gendered box of stockings and heels for women and power ties for men. I don't think you got to wear a tie. I, I chose to wear, wear a tie my first three years, maybe four years in the business because I started selling when I was 27 years old. Okay. I've, I've been wearing a beard the entire time I've been in the industry because if I was 65 years old and I had 27 year old walking in who, by the way, was bankrupt, you know, years prior in real estate, I might have a hard time convincing myself if he decided to, you know, not age himself up, not give it his best shot at being a professional and coming in and completely blowing me away with respect and admiration for my home. If he, if I would have went into those homes wearing a backwards baseball hat and a t-shirt and being like, yeah, you know, we're going to throw this up on the market. Uh, I don't think I would have gotten nearly as much, you know, respect or opportunity from those home sellers. Agree. Absolutely. I think one of the other things to keep in mind, right, we often hear consumers talking about whether the professional, the professional, uh, the industry, are real estate agents required, right? And if we can't take it seriously and show up as professionals, how do we expect the, the consumer to see us as professionals? And how can we expect it to be compensated as professionals? But if you're looking at asking somebody to give you two and a half to 4% of $500,000, I'm asking for a $20,000 paycheck. I should be able to show up dressed a certain way. 
I mean, she goes on to say, my hope is that you take a hard look at the dress code that you're trying to enforce and decide if it is in fact discriminatory because you do not understand how people, and Lisa, you're a broker, so I'd love your, your take on this. Uh, you don't understand how people of other cultures dress and style their hair, or you have no idea how to navigate dress codes for LB, LGBTQIA plus individuals. Um, this to me, again, this is a major opportunity for Rachel to like virtue signal out like, okay, I am, I am so up on the current times that I can write this piece and really get an, an attaboy from, you know, a certain, uh, you know, a certain type of person that, that really, you know, wants to, you know, just kind of virtue signal, I'll say. So, but as a broker, do you take into consideration what would be discriminatory and address code, or is it your business and you get to kind of make the rules of what's a professional dress code and what's not? It's a fine line, no doubt, right? And I think that the just like the schools walk the fine line on what's discriminatory and what's not. In terms of hairstyles and that stuff, I'm not going to say that you have to style your hair a certain way that you can't style it another, but I am going to say that your hair should be clean, that it should be well kept, right? Um, and that it should... I don't know what the right words are to to explain it, right? But you you just know. You can look at somebody and know if they've taken the time to put themselves together and are showing up in a manner that you would want your company represented at. And I think going back to your point with it's a 1099 situation, agents and brokers are in partnership always, right? And both parties are free to decide whether that partnership works. And it doesn't have to be an ongoing relationship if either party decides at any point that it no longer works. Yeah, I mean, I I don't, you know, you could be male, female, LBGTQ, you could be anything. And I think that there is a way um, to present yourself that doesn't require a blazer in a lot of markets that certainly doesn't require a red power tie. I, I don't know really any real estate agents out there wearing a red power tie in Rachel's description. You know, if you, I know a lot of agents though that do wear heels and, you know, I know a, a Sandra Pike up in um, Halifax, Canada, it's part of her brand, right? Yeah. It's actually something that she's built in into her community where people know she's going to buy a pair of heels for every closing and it's kind of like this theme and people love that, but that's, that's, you know, kind of, uh, going with, with who she is. I just believe you've got to know your market. And unless you want to, you know, we're talking about inclusion here, unless you want to exclude your opportunity to serve your community at the highest level, then, then, okay, wear whatever you want if you want to exclude people. But if you want the best chance of working with every boomer, uh, of working with everybody from all these di different demographics, then you should take into consideration what you're wearing. Of course, you don't. You can go start your own independent brokerage of one, do a couple deals a year, not respect the community, and be quite fine with that. And and listen, in every market, we know a couple of those brokers that are just so stubborn. I'm going to do it my way. And they're paying all these brokerage fees to do, you know, a handful of deals. We've all seen it. It goes into the content that they create. 
it goes into the way they dress. They're just so stubborn that they've got to live life their way. And they build very small little businesses that don't amount to much. Okay. And if that's your goal and your mission, you're probably watching the wrong show, you know, to build something small, uh, simple and non-profitable. If you're the opposite of that, you really want to grow. I would take into consideration what I'm wearing, how I'm presenting myself, the content that I put out into the community. Is it for me or is it for them? I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a balancing act in finding the fine line, right? You can dress anything up or dress it down, but there are guidelines for staying above a certain level. Every, Feel strongly. I hear just, yeah, I hear way too many agents um, you know, saying, if you don't like me for who I am, then fine, go work with somebody else. Well, that consumer, 100% of them that hear that piece of content or see content that you made just for you should go work with somebody else. Okay, this, you're in a service job serving the community. When you make it about them, in the way you do everything, uh, you're gonna have the opportunity to actually help more people and that's ultimately what you're doing in here. Okay, uh, total racket for agents that, to me, think otherwise that they should just be able to wear, say, do whatever the hell they want when they're serving their community. Left, middle, right. These are the headlines, Lisa, in politics that every agent should know about, every real estate entrepreneur, as it relates to their business. Okay. And on CNBC today, we have a headline reading inflation rose rose 0.5% in January, more than expected and up 6.4% from a year ago. I talked about it in detail on today's hot sheet, but Lisa, when you hear that uh, inflation went up more than expected, not just on the uh, monthly number, the January number, uh, but also on the annual number, it was supposed to be 6.2. It came in at 6.4. Okay. Uh, and then also inside, if you dig deeper into this housing and shelter, uh, went up 0.7%. Okay. It makes up about half of this increase. Uh, and it, it accounts for a third, uh, you know, of what's categorized inside of this, but it, but in fact made up again, half of the, uh, increase. This tells me we're in for a much longer recovery than we had hoped for. What does it tell you? Same thing. Same thing. It's not going away overnight. Right. And as much as they've been trying to get it under control, I think there's still some factors that need to shake out before it's going to be able to get under control, no matter what we do to it. So I believe agents need to really focus in on from now until May, not to say you're going to take the rest of the year off. My point is if you're not taking advantage of the now, you're going to be in a much tougher market later in the year. The reason why now is better than later is because we just have that seasonality yep. uptick in demand. We get into a place where, and I think we're going to hit it again this year. In fact, a 7% interest mortgage interest rate, we're up over six and a half. We know demand is just going to drop just based off of how many people can afford homes. Right. And so last year, housing wire said we had a tail of two markets. I think we'll have a tail of two markets again this year. I think it'll look like that again. And so agents that just expect, okay, January, things were off to the races. This is going to be the story for the next 12 months. What do you say to those agents? So I actually agree with you on hundred percent. I think, although I think we're going to go a little bit longer, you said till May, 
I think in New England, that's just the traditional like seasonal. Yeah, yeah. I think in New England with our, I think our seasonal curve is going to extend a little bit longer. I think okay. we're going to get it until August or September, but then I think it's going to be brutal, just like you said. And I think the other thing that everybody on the in the agent community needs to keep in mind is I pulled the stats for Mass the other day. I was doing a some data digging over the weekend. Our sales are down 34% year to date. So we have a much like weaker start to this year yep. than we had to last year. It's even a weaker start. Q1 is going to be weaker than Q4, which is really surprising. And while demand is huge, the inventory isn't there to make it up. And so I think it's going to be, this is the thing I keep saying to agents over and over. It is critical that you do the work now and be really fiscally conservative going into mm -hmm. Q3 and Q4 because it's going to be rough. Yeah, that's the point, right? If you have opportunity in this market now and you're you're choosing to take time off during this time frame, do it. not doing the deals that are in front of you and saving the money and really trying to go deep into your community, you could get into a, in a spot in 2023 where this is not only your worst year ever, but a year that puts you out of business Agreed. as a real estate agent if you're not paying close attention. So uh, yeah, I, I really want to encourage agents to, um, you know, if you think your market's going to, you know, like you said, August or, or September, which I think would be a pretty bullish outlook uh, on how long we've got of the seasonality approach, uh, then you better take all of that time. If it's going to follow traditional trends where from now until May, you're going to see this increase in mortgage applications. And, and you're probably projecting out, Lisa, to August because um, we'll see mortgage applications. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're going to see mortgage applications go up like we always do from now till May. But some of those people aren't going to buy until the, till the summer because of the lack of inventory. Is that kind of where correct. you're going with that? Yeah, exactly. And I think when you take where we are and I probably where you are too, right, in Connecticut, the schools become a really big determining factor yeah. for that. And so May school isn't out yet for families to make the move. And, but I think that there's going to be some movement between May and August that's going to have, I don't think it's going to be as big as it is because I, as it has been in the past, because I, and this is one of the things that I keep saying, those consumers, those move up buyers are locked by interest rates, right? It's going to cost them so much more money to upsize. But for those that want to take advantage of the downsizing once the kids graduate high school or graduate college, I think that that's where we'll see a little bit of extra movement from May to August. Yeah, that makes sense. Lisa, you took it easy on me here on The Real Word. I know. I had a couple of jabs lined up and then you just kept talking and it didn't seem right to kind of interject. Like I was going to comment on that beard is probably not really what most people would consider a beard, but like. Well, Lisa, it, it definitely ages me up. <laughs> You know, it ages me up and it avoids uh, anyone having to look at that Tom Brady, you know, uh, hole on my chin. It, it doesn't hide it. That's the, that's see, the kicker. Like, see how I just put myself in Tom Brady's category? <laughs> see what I did there? I see what you did. I see what you did. And I had a couple others lined up, but now the moment's passed. So you just talk so much. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't give you a, an inclusive opportunity to, to speak there. It's all good. Is that what happened? I gotcha. It's good. Sometimes the best jabs are the ones that come later when you least expect them anyway. So, all right. In the comments, let me know if uh, you wanted Lisa to speak more. I think we, I think we might have Lisa back next week. Uh, she's going to hold down Nicole's chair until Lisa comes, or until Nicole comes back. Oh, right, Lisa? Totally, all in. Yeah, we're going to have some fun.
Um, all right, let me know in the comments if you want to hear more from Lisa. She, you could have cut me off at any point. Maybe next time. All right, your first. This is the first time. The first time I ever had a, a different co-host. So we're just we're feeling each other out. It's like we're living together. Like that first topic, we're just kind of you know. So you left your clothes all over the floor this time, and I was the neat freak. <laughs> yeah, you you were you were being uh, neat and tidy here on the first time. All right, we got down below. We've got the AI tools ebook. Make sure you grab that, and we're doing a chat GPT workshop on Thursday with Chris Smith. There's an offer inside that ebook. Uh, we'll put the link down below. There's a BAM offer to get that ticket at its lowest price. We've had thousands of people download that ebook and you do not want to miss that workshop. If you have any questions about chat GPT, uh, make sure you hit that workshop with us on Thursday. Lisa, thank you very much. I think we're going to see you next week. Let me know in the comments if you enjoyed having Lisa on the show. We'll see you next week. Keep it real.